Welcome to the Jesus and Everybody podcast, the show where we talk to everybody about the intersection of Jesus and their life story. My name is Andrew Ironside, and thank you for tuning in for this episode today. Today's guest is probably one of my favorites, and that's because it's my own mom, Lynn Ironside. I thought about having both my mom and dad on together, but I decided it would be better to give them each a longer window of time. I'm obviously a bit biased, but my mom is an incredible person who has impacted countless lives. Recently, I was talking with a friend, and they asked me what I thought were some of the most important things that my parents taught me growing up. For both my mom and dad, I would say that more than anything, they taught me and exemplified what it means to serve other people, to be kind, to be generous, to have a passion for God, to pray, and to do their best to love God and others. My mom is a strong, compassionate, giving, hardworking person who cares deeply for others. She lives at her faith in God privately and publicly with genuineness, devotion, and wisdom, and is respected by, I think, just about everybody that knows her. She also has several degrees and was a valedictorian at Tyndale University. Unfortunately, her smarts were passed on to my sister, not me, but I've forgiven her in my heart for this. And vocationally, my mom worked a large part of her life in nursing and long-term care, and she also served for more than 10 years as the pastor of Harvest Family Community Church in Keswick, where I'm from. My mom and dad are both now retired, but still spend a significant amount of time doing things for other people, as well watching their dumb British shows. <laughs> so without further ado, as part of the Jesus and Everybody podcast, this is Lynn Ironside. Welcome, Mom, to the Jesus and Everybody podcast. Thank you. It's nice to be here. Yeah, I'm excited to have you here as one of our very first guests. And just to get it out of the way, in the introduction that I recorded before, I explained that obviously you're my mom, and I said a few nice things about you. And I wondered <laughs> if you would just get it out of the way and say a few nice things about me as your favorite child. <laughs> the oldest and the favorite child, yes. yes. Uh, very, very proud of our son and, and all that he does. And uh, I just, even yesterday, listening to another podcast, I, I heard how much you have a heart for young people, and it's it's just really beautiful to see you in action. So there you go. Good, good words about my son. Thanks, Mom. And who, you can... who I always thought was going to be a lawyer, though. Yeah, yeah, I could see that. And now our daughter's yeah. like that, too, for sure. <laughs> Able to argue her way out of everything. But Yes. <laughs> well, again, thanks for doing this, Mom. As you know, the show was created so that we could ask people very intentionally about the intersection of Jesus and their life story. And so we'll just get started. Why don't you begin by sharing about your upbringing and what part, if any, faith in Jesus had to play? Okay, that's a, a as I was pondering that question around intersection with Jesus, I was thinking that, you know, were there moments that were very precise, very specific moments, which often people will will express that, that, you know, they, they had this encounter with Jesus. And in my case, it's actually been perhaps more an awakening to the awareness of, of how he's always been around, you know, even when I didn't recognize that. I grew up in, in uh, England. I, I went to school there till I was 10. So at that time, most of the schools were, were considered under the covering of the Church of England, which was the Anglican Church. And so it was a normal thing for a, uh, a vicar to come into the school and to pray with the kids and to sing songs with them and tell stories. And that was 
something I was just very familiar with. And it was actually really my only significant exposure to Christianity because my father was an atheist and my mom didn't drag us off to a, a, a church that I recall. I know we were christened as, as babies, so that was important to her, but we lived fairly remotely up in the Yorkshire Moors. So, you know, going off to church on a Sunday wasn't something that we did. So that was sort of my early years awareness. And something happened in there when I was around nine years of age in that my mom still says that when I was that age, I couldn't get enough of the Bible, so much so that my mother's mother, my grand, actually gave me my grandfather's soldier's RAF Bible from 1914. Mm-hmm. And mom said I used to have my face stuck in the Bible all the time, and I had loads of questions. I didn't um, know that. And I, yeah, and, and I'm, I would suspect that that was the influence of that particular vicar coming to the, to the school. So... Fast forward, we came to Canada in 1967, and we're living on uh, a farm, and we moved around quite a quite a bit, especially in the first few years. And at that point, my mom, I think, was listening to people like Oral Roberts on the radio. <clears throat> that was um, there was an opportunity to listen to those kind of messages coming along, and that was about it. Though that would have been really our only exposure to the church or Christianity at that point. So you want me to keep going into what comes yeah. next? Yeah. Yes. Yeah. So I uh, I left home at the age of 16 and those from 16 to 19 were pretty bumpy uh, years for me. But what I said at the beginning that I really recognize in hindsight Christ's presence, it definitely was something that looking back now I can see that, wow, like look how he protected me because as a teenage girl for a while I was living on my own and getting into all kinds of mischief and I got involved with this one young woman who I just admired so much she was a few years older and she was involved in Wiccan practices very heavily and she actually believe it or not probably early on influenced me towards Christ more than anyone else because she saw something in me and recognized something and said, no, you you do not want to be a part of this. You, you know, this is not the direction. Witchcraft is not where you're supposed to be going. And mm-hmm. and she basically, uh, yeah, she basically stopped hanging around with me and didn't want to have anything to do with me. So, which was sort of a, you know, an odd thing to have happen, but she was sort of pushing me in the direction towards finding my faith. And through my early 20s, and then getting married at 25 and, and becoming a parent at 30. In that time, I think a lot of young parents often find themselves you know, looking for a church to take their kids to Sunday school and, and have all of that experience. And it was a, a young patient of mine. I was a nurse working in a hospital providing rehab services. And she was there for a number of months. I think she had to have major surgery on her knee. Her name was Geraldine. And uh, I didn't know it at the time, but she was praying for me and she would draw God and Jesus into our conversations when I'd be in doing her therapy and, you know, helping her up in the morning. And, and we actually became friends, which isn't necessarily something that, you know, they encourage in the hospital sector that you become friends with your patients. But she, uh, she was an evangelical Christian and on fire for the Lord. And she actually invited me out to her church. And I went with her a few times, but again, there was always that sense of 
searching, but never, never getting to a point of commitment with, with Jesus. And it took until I was 40 years old of age for that to happen. Hmm. And what happened at 40? Well, you wanted to play soccer. <laughs> so we were living uh, in Keswick and uh, we started, we were attending a local church. We've been going actually for a couple of years and it was a great little farming community church and wonderful people, people who I still reflect on their influence in my life. And, and we were part participating, but I never heard that, you know, the, the, the whole idea of Jesus being somebody that you could draw close to. You know, I, I think I was getting, you know, God, the Father had sort of sorted out in, in my mind, but did not, definitely not any kind of a personal relationship with, with Jesus. And we uh, we had you signed up to play soccer, and you were being coached by this gentleman who whose main purpose for getting involved in, in soccer and coaching was to be able to share Christ with the kids uh, in a very loving, gentle way. And his name is Jim Pesky, and he and his wife, Debbie, were starting a, a whole new church plant brand new church in Keswick. And we slowly became involved with that. And and then things began to proceed very quickly after. And it was through the, we were taking an alpha course, but I think this is actually prior to taking the course uh, with Nikki Gumbel. Um, I had the little Nikki Gumbel's alpha book. And in it, there's a section where you actually, you know, say, okay, I'm going to invite Jesus into my life. And there was one night, and it's a silly story, but I was reading that little book. I was having a bath, probably trying to hide from the kids and just have <laughs> some peace and quiet. Yes, I and, understand that. Uh, yes. <laughs> and so I just decided that I was there, that I, I just wanted, you know, I was just so hungry to understand what is this about being able to have a re- that kind of a relationship with Jesus. Because to me, the God figure was always kind of, distant and, and uh, maybe a little uh, strict, right? So I did say this, read out these words and prayed, and there was this incredible moment of, of sensing that the love of Jesus just completely surrounded me. It, you know, it was quite, uh, quite a moment. So it, I'm very profound. And from that moment on, it was, it was very clear that my life had changed, and other people, even people who are not Christian, somebody in particular who who I worked with shortly thereafter, she just looked at me one day and she said, "What is going on with you?" Because mm-hmm. she could, because she could sense that something had changed, and yeah, freedom. So at age forty. Thanks, Mom, for sharing that. So you, yeah. you talked about being changed. So can you expand on that a little bit more? What what actually changed? Because again, people look from the outside and say. That's nice that you found religion or, you know, come to Jesus moment, but that's good for you. But I don't really see the impact in our lives. And yet you said this friend did see something different. Um, If you could expand on that a little bit. Yeah, I think, first of all, there was, uh, I I know there was that sort of sense of, of an inner peace and joy that had been missing. And again, looking back, I recognize that for so long, I was looking for something and trying to fill that, whatever that, you know, people mention like a hole in, you know, there's a place in you that is just empty. And 
and then trying to fill it with lots of other things and, and never ever having that actually fulfilled until Jesus. And then, so something in me that was changed for sure was a, a sense of peace. And I think also uh, maybe patience and compassion as well. You know, I mean, I, I said I'm a nurse and, and was a nursing at that point, but I, I, I don't think I was a very compassionate individual at that point. I, you know, it was, so it was being able to maybe turn more from my own stuff to, to beginning to, to really sense the heart of other people around me. Mm. And, and, and that definitely w- I would say would be something that, you know, people might have been able to notice that. So yeah. that's interesting yeah, that sure. you bring that up. I did have a question further on, but I'll jump into it now because I was reflecting on you and dad, obviously are people who everyone knows that you have a heart to serve and you live that out in your faith. You were a nurse he worked in long-term care. Dad spent his whole career at the Blurview Children's Hospital here in Toronto. So you clearly mm-hmm. have had a heart for serving people even before you came to faith in Jesus. And yet you're saying there right. that you weren't quite there either. So can you explain that? Because from the outside looking in, it, it looks like you've always been that way. So what what difference did Jesus make? Hmm. Wow, that's a really good question. Um, yeah, I think recognizing that I didn't, or I don't still, still recognizing that, that I, that I don't have the answers in nursing. As I said, I worked for a long time in rehab and then in in long-term care for many years. And there's that sense, you know, of loss for a lot of people who end up in long-term care and they've gone from having their own home to, now having to be cared for by other people. And I think there was a desire within me early on to be a rescuer, right? To, to, Mm -hmm. to rescue people, to, you know, help them on their way. And, but it, over the years, and even, even at this point, I look back on the last 20 plus years of of being Christian, there have still been a lot of struggles. There have been, you know, we went through, it just seemed a whole bunch of years where there was, a lot of pain, a lot of difficulties, family health issues, you know, people being ill. And yet when I began to sense that, well, I don't have to deal with this. this, you know, that's not what I'm being asked to do. I'm just being asked to share his love. And he's the one that's going to look after the bigger, bigger issues. I can't change it. You know, like if it's coming alongside somebody who's struggling with addictions, you know, I'm, I, I just might want to pick them up and shake them and say, get away from that stuff. Mm-hmm. But, but it might not change at all. Right. And, and that kind of response isn't necessarily going to be any help, but just being there to just reveal a love that, you know, and compassion is, I think the change that was most evident, I think in my life. Mm-hmm. Right. And, and it continues, right. It's, it, it continues today. We were funny enough talking about this in our house church group online this week about why people, even without faith, can be so loving and kind. And sometimes Christians are not that way, although many are. Yes. And one of the things that was brought up was that, well, if we believe that we're made in God's image, even though there's a lot of brokenness and, you know, the word sin would be the Christian word in our lives that separate Mm -hmm. us from God, we're still, every person is still a child of God in that original sense. And so it makes sense that people have great capacity for love and compassion, yes. service. 
as well as a real tendency towards selfishness and pride because of their own doing. But I, I, we, we were discussing that. And I think when I think of you and dad, your hand, the God, sorry, the hand of God in your life, the whole way through where you have a heart to serve other people is that's from God. And then when you come to a point where you recognize, wow, Jesus is the source of this love and hope. It just amplifies exponentially that compassion, that love that you have. doesn't mean you're perfect, but it just, you kind of realize where the source of that even is coming from in the first place, if that makes sense. Yeah, I can, I can share a story without naming people, but there's, there, there was definitely one moment in my life where more than ever, ever anything else I could think of where I just knew, wow, that was God. There was somebody who I held a, a great deal of, of bitterness toward. This individual had caused tremendous harm to, to people that I love very dearly. And it, I was not necessarily in this person's circle at all. I would not run into this individual and, and with intent. I didn't want to, but we were, we, we were attending a funeral and that funeral brought us in, into the same place. Mm-hmm. Um, and I, I knew that individual was going to be there and I was actually thinking, oh, I'm just going to make sure that I stay as far away as possible be, because I'm still carrying truly a, a lot of unforgiveness and, and bitterness in my heart. And as we were getting up, to leave the, uh, the funeral. funeral service. Yeah, as we were sort of exiting out the back, I saw this individual standing there. And without any hesitation, I found myself going up to that individual and embracing him, was him, embracing mm-hmm. him in my arms with a love that was like a lightning bolt. And even now, the memory of that was so mm-hmm. profound for me. And shocked him <laughs> as yeah, well. Yeah. He was probably wondering what I was up to, but it was a moment of really seeing how if you just allow God's compassion to get past your your issues and your unforgiveness, he can do incredible things. Mm. So, yeah. That was a that was a powerful moment mm. for me. Yeah, wow, that's that's incredible and I know who you have in mind there. I wanted to talk a little bit about church then. You, you mentioned Jim and Deb coaching the soccer team and then inviting you to be a part of that Harvest Family Community Church. That's where you started to attend, where you eventually became mm-hmm. Christians, and then where you eventually became a pastor for many years. Um, yes. This, yeah. is, this, this is not your typical church. For those listening, they think of church. It's not probably what this church is. It's a very small community, family-focused church, often meeting in people's living rooms and homes. Mm-hmm. And there's something very special about that place. And not only that, but there have been some incredible people that have come through the doors of that little church over the years. Um, Mm -hmm. I wanted to ask you, what what has being part of a church like Harvest taught you about Jesus, about community, and real-life religion? Oh, thank you. That's a great question, too. And this one comes easy as an answer, I think, for me. It's this, you said, like, community, right? It's a sense of being in relationship and that we were drawn together as families, all almost all new Christians actually, that were sort of the core group of the of that church under Deb and Jim's leadership. And we brought our children, we brought our issues, we you know, and we we were very, very close because we were sharing meals together, 
playing soccer together, going tobogganing together, and and just that sense of uh, relationship and community. And then what grew out of that as well was that we actually became part of a, a Christian um, ministry called Dove Christian Fellowship International, where the house church, which is the term that they use for it now, the whole house church model of small church, you know, 15, 20 people in a home, whatever, is it works throughout the world. It, it's, you know, a beautiful model in certain settings. And that family, that sense that I had at the beginning with Harvest, then grew into this bigger family that is Dove and has provided me the opportunities to be able to have friends throughout the world, like literally across the world. And mm-hmm. it's that in itself is also really qu- quite remarkable. So it is a very different sort of setting. And I, and I think Harvest, under, under Jimmy, especially at the beginning, we, you know, he was encouraging all of us, men and women, and that's a, a huge piece for me, the woman part, to look to flowing in the gifts that God has, has given us. So we weren't held back. Uh, we were guided and we had a lot of, as you said, great people that came through that helped us along the way. And uh, it allowed us to really begin to move in the gifts that we, we had been given. And, you know, I didn't know at the beginning that I was actually going to end up being the pastor of this little church for, for 10 years, but that's what came about. And it was through the love and encouragement of, of the folk that were part of that group. Really very, very precious. Mm-hmm. Thanks, Mom. And can you talk about, you have people who are shaping your and influencing your life, and those are people who would pray for you, and, and as you said, just really guiding you and steering you more towards God and how he's wired you and equipped you to do good works in the world. Uh, mm-hmm. But you also you also learn a lot about community from all the people that are there. It's not just the people at the front that you're learning from. You're learning from the individuals that attend from time to time, hearing people's stories. I had I remember that, that I, there's a few people that come to mind, like Bob, who I know passed away, um, mm-hmm. and like your friend Marika that there. passed away, and mm-hmm. but just very humble people with incredible faith and and not perfect faith, and yet God was very present there. Can you speak to that a little bit? Yes. And I, I mean, you, you mentioned two people who definitely have influenced my life and they're, they lived their faith. Right. And, and I think especially of Marika who has been gone now a couple of years and, mm-hmm. um, you know, way too soon, like she yeah. was, it yeah. was such a shock to, to lose our friend. And we were actually at meeting for a few years at her house with, uh, for a women's group. And, uh, we would come together I think once every week or every other week or something. And, and she always prepared all kinds of delicious food for us to nibble on. And we would use different studies to go through. And, you know, sometimes we'd use Bible studies and other times different and you know, different things that we would look at, different books. But Marika was always somebody who would challenge us to say, well, you know, how are we doing this? How are we living like Christ? And, and what does that look like? And And her life in the last few years, she was volunteering with an organization to drive people to and from their appointments. And um, she, even though it, it's it's not a Christian organization, she was often given an opportunity to be able to just share God's love for these people. And so just watching, watching her, I mean, she, I have no idea how many people 
Marika has sowed into and the impact of her presence in her life. But I know it's huge. I know that she had a huge impact. And it was funny at, well, not funny, it was poignant at her funeral or sometime around there. I was talking with her, her daughter and she said to me, would you promise that you'll never forget my mom? And I said, wow, I, yeah, don't worry about that. Yeah. Said, there's no way I could forget her and the influence that she had. And, and, and she was just one. There were, there were so many people, as you say, that were just going about living their lives and, and really responding to, to serving Christ. And, you know, Marika had health issues, so she couldn't go on mission trips. And, you know, she wasn't necessarily standing up at a pulpit and speaking, but her life mm-hmm. just represented giving and loving and, and, and caring for others and in many ways. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, that's beautiful. And I think that's so meaningful because even though we know this in theory, most people within a church context still, I think, imagine that it's, well, yeah, it's really the missionaries, it's the pastor, it's the people on the leadership team. Those those are the people like who are really serving God and I'm just doing my job or with my family or I can't do some of these things. But with people like Marika and so many others, it just makes sense that God would work through the 99.9% of the world that doesn't work for a church in real, ordinary, day-to-day life. That's where God is present. This theme has come up a lot already as we started this podcast, just individual people who love Jesus, who are not perfect, and yet God is using them. That makes a lot of sense to me. And I think people need to be encouraged in that, that that's, that's really the way that God has made it to be. Right. Well, I'm actually attending a a Zoom women's group right now, and we were just talking about this as well this week and saying that when Jesus was ministering and he was, you know, when he decided to go hang out with Matthew, the tax collector, and then it says that, you know, Matthew and his buddies were together. Well, those would have been other tax collectors. And they were they were not exactly the the most up and up people as far as the the. Pharisees and Sadducees, they would say, wow, you know, you're, as he, as they said, you're hanging out with sinners. What are you doing mm-hmm. that for? And it, mm-hmm. and, and yet, as we talked about it, we said, you know, it was always the most impactful when you can look at the examples of Jesus going to, like going out to, it wasn't the, I mean, yes, as a boy, he was standing in the temple and he was awing them with the things that he knew, but it was, his ministry was always about go. Like you have to go into where they are. Don't mm-hmm. don't drag them into a building and, and sit them there and whatever. It's you go be with them where they are mm-hmm. and love on them. And that's I think that's his ministry is to mm-hmm. always is to just for the and the, the call for us as well is to how do we impact those around us by our example. And yeah, if we're you know, I mean, Tom and I are getting a little bit older now and it's like, well, what, what do we do? And where, you know, how do we do that? Well, it's how do we show the love of Christ? It's not that we have to be screaming it from the rooftops. And, and I think if I may use your dad as an example, he's just amazing. I, I mean, I see him do it all the time where he'll be in a store standing, talking to the person at the cash register. And now with all the restrictions and the masks and whatever, and it's so hard to see people's faces and their smiles and it's a lot more stressful and yet he often will make that person chuckle and laugh and mm-hmm. because he he just has a way of of saying kind things and sometimes yeah. he'll do whatever he's doing walk away and then come back and say i just want to say 
how how grateful I am for that interaction with you that you just made my day. Mm. Something as simple as that, right? It's just wow. revealing God's love, right? <laughs> yeah, that's amazing. That's definitely what comes to mind for dad is the way he, the, the ordinary day-to-day stuff. And especially in this time with COVID and people are so stressed and I can't imagine being a teenage cashier at a no. store. They must just get yelled at like crazy. Actually, we have a friend whose yeah. mom works at a Starbucks and she was saying that people just are losing it over the smallest things. Like you don't have my lemon oh. square and it's a little bit obnoxious, but it's also COVID, right? People are so yep. stressed and uptight and, and mental health issues. And so to have someone kindly, compassionately laugh with you and, and encourage you and just have a normal conversation to thank you for what you've done, to leave a good tip, you know, that, that is very important. Yes, it is. Those are the moments where we can really reveal who we are. So, yeah. And I'm not saying I always get it right, though. No, I know. I know that from personal experience. So, (laughs) Yeah. Um, Another question about the church. So you did work as a pastor for, you said, 10 years there. Mm -hmm. So we could obviously do a whole podcast just about that time. But in just a couple of minutes about this question, could you talk about your experience of seeing Jesus there at church as the pastor, both, you know, even in your personal life at that time, but also as you serve the community. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Oh, so, so, so many ways, right. Just people who would make a decision to maybe come and check us out. And, and as you said, we were, you know, we're a little bit different than perhaps the, the mainstream church and, and there are people who though who find that more fitting for because they're not comfortable with with mainstream. But then there are other people who are not comfortable with sitting around on couches and and actually being able to you know when you ask the question how are you doing today mm-hmm. that no you really are asking how are you doing today and you're mm-hmm. looking for a response for them and and for some that can be a bit of a a bit of a difficult stretch for them it's just they can't hide in that back pew. But so many times I think. Jesus just ministered to people's hearts within within our little church within Harvest and uh, opportunities to pray for people. I mean, we would it even could be in the midst of giving a message, we could stop because somebody would share something and it's like, well, we we need to pray for this person now. And we would. And seeing seeing people being affected just by just by the love of the other people in the room as well. And that's Jesus, right? Just loving on them and them then being able to love on that individual. And, and I, I think especially for people who have struggles, you know, that are um, like addictions that are so huge to just know that people will embrace them and accept them mm-hmm. into the midst and offer them a cup of coffee and a piece of cake. And, and then also just in the sharing of the messages, I mean, there were so many times when, you know, I I would prepare the message and I'd be stumbling over it and wondering, where is this? Why, Lord? What What is this message about? And then sure enough, during that time, and not necessarily at the door saying goodbye to people either, often in the midst of, someone would speak up and, and, and say, D- like, did you just write this for me today? Like, this is mm-hmm. this is where I am right now. This is what I'm dealing with. Mm-hmm. And it's like, well, God wants you to know that. He wants you to know that he's here today and He's aware of the stuff that you're going through and loves you. So, yes, yeah, so many occasions like that. That's Not great. all successful. We had people who, 
tried it and came out for a bit and then and as a pastor that was always difficult you know I have to admit that it wasn't about numbers it was just about seeing somebody just getting excited about and then being too fearful to to continue mm-hmm. yeah thanks yeah. Mom. so I wanted to add another question here that I know you wouldn't want brought up but I'm going to do it anyway you and dad mm-hmm. have you and dad have always been extremely generous in giving to other people, myself included, our family. And you believe in the importance of tithing and trusting God with your money. And you've modeled this generosity so well to other people. Um, Unfortunately, though, I think on a larger scale, the church and followers of Jesus have a horrific, shameful record of corruption and exploiting the poor televangelists who are crooks selling prayer towels to poor people on welfare while they drive around in fancy cars. Um, Why do you think the church so often gets it wrong with money? And what do you tell people who ask you about finances and giving, especially in the context of faith and the church? Um, Well, the love of money, right? It's, uh, there's a caution there for all of us. And I, I, I'm not sure if I know, I would begin to even speculate as to why would people who start out on the right path wander into dangerous places of cheating people or deceiving them and things like that. It, it, it's a little bit beyond beyond me that that happens, um, but we know it does. You're absolutely right, and it's it, it it's true that people don't even tend to talk too much. As you said, it's not necessarily a question that I'm comfortable with looking at, but or expressing. You know that how much monies we we do give away, but it's not a question that you tend to see Christians sitting around a table chatting about and saying, so, you know, how are you with your tithing or whatever? It, it's so mm-hmm. personal and, and yet, and we can so easily take offense, which I think is problematic as well. I think, you know, somehow we need to sort of bring that into, into the open as well and be much more willing to discuss the ways that we can support and give. And uh, I, I can think back to wanting to share even a, maybe a sermon around the whole concept of tithing and the principles behind it. And just to, to get that point across to people that churches do need to have money. And yes, you know, we, we, we trust God will provide, but you know, we need, we do need money to function, to, to operate, to pay a salary. If, if, if that's the way that the, the church um, does things. And, and yet you would have people sitting there who are unemployed or on disability pensions and whatever. And, and, and how do you share that message with them that, that when they're saying, well, we, you know, we just don't, we don't have those kind of funds. So it's um, a very, can be a very difficult conversation to to have with people, but from my, I can only speak from my own experiences. And certainly I have always found that as we, look for opportunities to bless and, and to give and to support, we are, we are blessed and we're not doing it because, so we get blessed, but, but that comes out of it as well. And and it's, and I think the, the thing in that is the trusting in God, like to, do, do we really trust him? Do, are we really willing to trust him with, with that? Because finances, especially for me, that was always a, a big issue in our marriage was, was money and, and me being worried about our finances and whatever else. And that was another huge change point for me, Andrew, in, in being able to just give that to God and say, I, you know, I'm going to trust that that you are going to provide for us. And, and uh, we certainly have made decisions in our life 
where we where we had to do that, where we had to trust God for, for the funds. So I think, and I'm not sure if I've answered your question, but it's it, I think it's important for all of us to understand how how we can sow into other situations. And for us, the one thing that that I've always valued is the first fruits, right? That this isn't necessarily even like looking at tithe, it's like being able to invest first fruits monies into people like people who are on the on the front line doing the ministry. And, you know, we can't necessarily be doing that, or maybe we don't even desire to do that, but they need support. They, they need support to be able to do what they're doing. So how can we, how can we help in that way? And what does first fruit mean for those who are listening who don't know? Um, it, it it's just that concept of um, you know we 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 get taught in church about the ten percent the tithe being ten percent whatever and it's like is it really ten percent is it give from your heart but the the first fruit is literally like if you think about the first crops from the garden right they're they're the best right it's mm-hmm. the so it, instead of tucking that away and keeping that for yourself how can you can you share that with others are you willing to give that forward to other people or other Mm -hmm. situations. Yeah. And what does Jesus have to say about finances? What does Jesus have to say about finances? Well, for your father, Mm -hmm. yeah, for your father and I, it's been trust in me, not the money. Right. Mm -hmm. He will provide. And I mean, the give unto Caesar, what is due unto Caesar? And that too, I mean, that's another whole can of worms that people don't necessarily like to talk about, but the whole idea of we we are supposed to pay where we're supposed to pay. So we if we if we've just come through that grocery line again and we're and I just heard somebody share this story the other day and you get outside and you realize, oh man, they they missed my two cases of Pepsi Cola underneath to go back in the store and say, Hey, I don't think you charge me for those. I owe you the money for those, right? Mm. So we have our own place in this as well for being responsible. That's very well said, Mom. Switching gears a little bit, is there anything that you wrestle with in your faith in Jesus? Yes, there's lots I wrestle with. And if, you know, I shared a little while ago that there's been some really difficult events that have happened in, even in, in my life and, and losses in particular. And, I I struggled with the loss of Marika and Chris Matthews, another dear, dear mm-hmm. godly friend and, and others too. And it's I have a hard time when I you know, when I hear people say, Well, God needed them more than you. Yeah. It's like, no. no. <laughs> so so I struggle with those things and, and and I'm willing to let God know that I don't I don't understand why why you why you took them from us at this point, mm-hmm. or, or you know, or, or why those things happen. But it, I know that the why question isn't the right question, and so yeah, I, there's lots that I struggle. And the other, which we don't have time to talk about today either, but the whole issue of women in the church is obviously huge for me. And, and Jesus, to me, just exemplified the the right way to respond to women, and he he just loved them and and care for them. And, but there's a lot of situations where that's still a huge issue, right? For, mm-hmm. for women to find their place in, in the church setting. And, you know, my heart aches for them because I, 
I've experienced it and it's not all fun. Mm -hmm. At the time of this recording, we had a technical glitch here. And so what you don't hear is the follow-up question asking my mom, is that something that she wanted to unpack? Clearly, this is such a significant issue for her and so many women as it should be. And for us as men as well, who have a lot to learn in this area and talking to my mom a bit, we decided that this might be a good topic to circle back to, but I just wanted to acknowledge and thank my mom for her leadership as a godly woman. And just to recognize that this is not a topic that we should just brush, especially after she shared so honestly there to brush over, but we, we want to come back to this. So we will, we'll, we'll find more time at another, another day to, to have her back and others to speak to this topic. But I wanted to acknowledge this now before jumping back in. I wanted to ask, who are some of the people in your life as you look back over the years who maybe three people who have really shaped your faith in Jesus? And it doesn't have to be the top three, but just who are three people that come to mind? Mm. Um, a, a woman whose name is Dimka Tenev, and she's in Bulgaria, and she and her husband started a whole house church movement across Bulgaria and uh, just a, a beautiful, sweet, sweet woman who I adore. Um, Debbie Pesky, Jimmy's wife, who challenges me and encourages me and always is always there for me. And I, you know, I love her very much. And your wife, Stephanie, because I, uh, I will never forget being out with her. We'd gone to a play one night and often in Toronto, you know, as you're going into these theaters, there's somebody sitting outside the theater you know, on the ground and they've got their little carpet around them or whatever. They're asking for money. And I watched Stephanie, my daughter-in-law, go up to that individual, squat down, introduce herself and ask, you know, what's your name? And they had a, a lovely little chat for a few minutes. And mm. that was another moment in my life where I was forever changed. Just the, the reaching out, heart to heart, like this is an individual who I'm just going to take a moment to just spend some time with instead of like everybody else rushing into the theater and, and just bypassing. Mm. Yeah. That's a good list. Mm. I've been very blessed by, I could go on and on and on. I have a huge list yes. of people who have, have blessed me and well, you're only yeah. allowed three, so that's all. Yeah, <laughs> I'll stop. <laughs> no, it's good. Uh, just a last question. So I, I've kind of alluded to it already, but you're definitely the kind of person that a lot of people look up to and respect the way you live out your faith and your life. Um, many people in your family, your relatives, your siblings, uh, friends, would maybe not ad identify as followers of Jesus themselves, but they know how meaningful your faith is to you and even would admire the way that you live and serve other people. Then again, obviously, many other people that you know don't want anything to do with religion or God or Jesus, mm -hmm. but but many do. And my question is, what is it about Jesus that does resonate with so many people who themselves are not Christians? Mm. That's, I, I think, because they see that he is goodness, right? He's, he is 
goodness. And even even if they choose to not seek after him, they know that that's who he is, right? That's that's who he represents is godly and goodness and kindness. Um, yeah, I, I think that would be it. Mm-hmm. Well, I appreciate you sharing from your heart, Mom, and you have a lot of wisdom to teach a lot of people. And, and again, the hope is that people would listen to this and be encouraged, even if it's one person, by what Jesus has done in your life. So thank you for your time today. And yeah, I would definitely love to do a, a, another part two or three about why I'm your favorite. Uh, yeah. Uh, your favorite child. <laughs> Anytime, Andrew. Anytime. <laughs> All right. Well, love you, Mom. Thanks. Love you too, Andrew. Thank you. Bye-bye.